You've been lied to, but you don't know how. You've searched, you've struggled, you've cried out. You want the truth, but where is it? You've wandered, you've fought, you've strived, and you have not been satisfied. What is truth? Where is truth? Who is truth? The kingdom of God. Mind control. The last days. Higher dimensions. Unity. The power of faith. Discovering the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. God has promised that he will hide us under his feathers and under his wings we will trust. His truth shall be our shield and our buckler. Discovering the Truth with Dan Devon is the premier program that is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is designed to show you how to become more than you have ever imagined through the power of truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And now, prepare for your host, Dan Duvall. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. This program is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is a production of Bride Ministries, and you can find us at www.bridemovement.com. The Fireplace Church is what we are calling our internet-based ministry service. I am so excited about this because here we are, March 17th, 2016, and I have just a few more days to pull this whole project together for the launch of our prototype service, praise the Lord. We have been working really hard. And of course, the devil tries to attack in various ways, shapes and forms, and you know what? We just keep stepping on his face. We are plowing ahead and there, well, doesn't seem to be any reason why we will fail at having our first service as a prototype launch on April 1st, 2016. We have the green screen. We have the cameras, we have the lights, we have the software, we have been filming sermons all day long. That's today, actually this whole week we've been filming. Um, we have produced worship sets. This is all done, folks. <laughs> We're sitting here, it's March 16th. We've already done everything I'm telling you. We've also signed a contract with the internet provider, not the internet provider, but the company that's going to build our website for us. They're working on it as I speak, pulling it together, creating the platform, creating the system by which we will be able to not only put 
out a service but interface it with various devices in order to allow for the groups and the community we've been talking about all this time it is all in production it is all being created it is right now happening and you <laughs> have so stepped up to the plate i am marveling at god i say god you know, we're really going to stretch our faith here because they're going to cost a lot of money. We're already helping all these survivors. You know, we're already doing Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. We already have costs and expenses. And you're telling me you want me to spend tens of thousands of dollars to put this thing together and have it done by April 1? Praise the Lord! I love walking by faith. And you know what? God has just been fanning it out. You guys, those of you that have been in our listening audience, stepping up to the plate, partnering us with us financially... You're making it possible. You know, I made a statement of intent. I said, the Lord spoke, I'm doing it. And that was a faith move. I didn't have it. <laughs> it wasn't in the bank account when I got started. It wasn't there. We've already bought all the stuff, gotten into the contract. We, we still have money to spend going into the future, which still isn't there in the natural. But we've gotten this far. Praise the Lord. We're going to finish the journey. I want to thank each and every one of you that have partnered with us financially this month at this point to help us push this project through the birth canal. And I want to thank all of you that are going to give because we still have, you know, a deficit in the natural that will be paid for. And I have called this project completed debt free. I refuse to settle for debt. Won't do it. This is going up and it's going to be paid off in full. Every bill will be paid before it arrives. And I'm making that statement, that declaration as a uh, well letter of intent to the spirit realm. This will not change. And so those of you that have partnered with us, thank you. Those of you that are thinking about it, thanks for thinking about it. And those of you that are about to give, <laughs> well, praise God for you, man. Uh, we are excited. It's happening. So look forward to that April 1st. You'll hear more about it next week. And, you know, in addition to that, we're going to have an amazing program today. We're going to be talking with Dr. C.R. Oliver, one of my favorite people. I, I have a number of favorite people. He is definitely one of the mighty man of God, full of wisdom and uh, just such an anointing on him. I listen to that guy talk all day long, just profound. So before we get to him, listen, uh, we are helping survivors right now. We are underwriting the cost of nine. Um, that's going to increase in the future. We are also planning to build the media studio. <laughs> we talked about that last week. That's getting, that's still getting pressed forward. But realistically, that's all coming after the internet-based ministry service is successfully launched. We're also looking at the DID coaching school later this year. I have books available, Kingdom Government and the Promise of Sheep Nations, Noah's Ark in the End of Days, higher dimensions, parallel dimensions in the spirit realm, folks, so much material for you to be blessed by in those products. You can get them at bridemovement.com. That's all I have to say for today. We're going to get into it with Dr. C.R. Oliver and you are listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Don't go anywhere.
We are back on Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. And I'm always so excited, folks, when I get another opportunity, privilege, really, to sit down with uh, my friend and brother in Christ and inspiration, Dr. C.R. Oliver. He's so, so inspirational to me. The man is full of years, full of wisdom, full of the love of the Lord. And, And ever since I met this gentleman, I have just been so profoundly blown away by the nature of what he carries because of the relationship he has with Jesus. And he is a retired college professor. He's an ordained minister. He is the president of the Oliver Evangelistic Association International and the CEO of Zadok Publications. He's written a number of books, including The Sons of Zadok, including Solomon's Secret, a commentary on a Song of Solomon, Holiness and Righteousness, the Regal Pair, a number of other books, and his website, www.zadikpublications.com. Uh, Brother Oliver, thank you so much for being back on Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Oh, it's always my pleasure, brother. Not only to see you and to listen to you, but to know that you have a place, a special place with the Lord. And this digital world is expanding greater even than we can hope to think about. Oh, well, that's right. You know, we're, we're planning to launch this internet-based ministry service, and it's coming up, I mean, literally in just a couple weeks. And we have... We have really been pressing in and watching the Lord pull this thing together. You know, the Bible says that we have received all things pertaining to God, life and godliness. He's actually given them to us. And uh, all of our needs are met by the abundance that God has in Christ Jesus. And what we've been seeing is that is, you know, God has given us this order <laughs> to build this thing. Um, man, have the resources come in, the support come in, the prayers come in, the encouragement come in. It's just quite profound. And you know what else is profound? Is the fact that God is moving his people into a deeper place with him so he can take them to a higher plane of operation. And, you know, Brother Oliver, one of the things that is very close to my heart. One of these messages is is the message of the bride of Christ. Because <laughs> realistically, our ministry is called Bride Ministries. And mm. man, do you have some amazing things to say on this subject. You know, we had you a year ago talking about the Song of Solomon and breaking that down. But today, we were chatting before the conversation and you were saying, Daniel, it's time for the church to bride up. And I'm like, wow, that is almost self-contradictory in the minds of some Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. But man, is it deep when it's placed up against the counsel of the word of God. Let me ask you a question. Why do you say it's time for the church to bride up? Well, it comes from the advice that sometimes we give other people, especially young men, you know, we say man up. You know, just come on up to the challenge and uh, stop being a wimp about things. And that's what we've got to do as a church. We've done uh, business as usual for too long, and now it's time for us to bride up, realize who we are. You know, if God's going to do the restoration process that he wants to do with us and bring a church to be his bride, because he is the second Adam, and there's going to be a second Eve one way or the other. And those five virgins that are not trimmed their lamps and they don't have the oil in them are not going to make it. 
But there is going to be a bride, and that bride is coming to him, and just as surely as it's going to be what God had with Adam and Eve before sin. They had a relationship with them that they loved him, and he loved them, and they talked every day. And there was, there was times of great, great confidence in God walking in the midst of them, felt free to do so because there was a purity and a holiness there. There was no shame and darkness. There was only light. And that's exactly where he's going to bring us to that point so that we shed those things that are not of God and we have those things that glorified that are of him. But we need to do it more than we need. We need to see this as a reality, not as a fantasy. And there's the problem we have. We're drawing great pictures for the church, but we're not being the church. We know what the church ought to be, and we say to ourselves, well, this is sort of like it ought to be. And God, you just have to be satisfied with it. Well, the Lord's not satisfied with it. He's got more on the table for us than what we're able to receive. And we're saying that because we haven't realized the capacity we have to receive. Oh, wow. Wait a minute. All right, Dr. Oliver, hold on. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3 that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Now, I was confused because I always, well, got the impression that what that meant was business as usual, survival-based mentality until some rescue event of the Lord. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> now, let me, well, is that what you believe? No, I, I believe that Paul, when he wrote uh, and spoke about knowing the height and the depth and the width and the scope of all the God's knowledge that was available to every saint, he was talking about a dimension that we haven't even touched on. Vance Havener used to say when he'd stand out in front of a congregation, oh, he said, I just know the disciples would really be able to fellowship with this congregation, provided one thing would happen and that they would backslide severely. Well, you understand that he was, see, he was seeing the paradox that we call ourselves the church, when in reality we ought to take away that nomenclature until we come to the place we realize that God's intentions is to restore us to that relationship with him that is absolutely ours and holy and pure and righteous. Those are terms we throw around a bit, but we don't know what they're talking about most of the time. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you know, Daniel, I was reading this morning over in Isaiah 62, and it's a rather long passage, but I'm going to go ahead and read it because it has something to say to us about our relationship to God. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. This is God's promise through Isaiah. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness. Now, that's the, that's, that's the goal. I'm not going to rest, he said, until your righteousness goes forth as brightness. And her salvation is a lamp that burns. The nations, the Gentiles, shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name. 
Well, that new name has to come from being married to him, you see. The bride changes her name to the groom's name at the wedding. And that new name starts being an appeal to her when she goes to thinking about it as in the engagement. She'll oftentimes write her name, her first name, and his last name to see if they work together pretty good, if I understand brides, that is, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hephzibah, the married one, and your land Beulah, the place of dwelling. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This is a much more intimate relationship than what we are teaching our people. You know, in the anonymity of the mega church, you can get lost in the shuffle. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people like it that way because they can't, you know, they can't see if you're there this Sunday and not the next. There is a, there is a lack of intimacy being taught because there is no intimacy between God and the man doing the teaching. Sorry about that, but I blame almost all the dilemma of our United States right now and the rest of the world upon those who call themselves clergy because they have not taken the time to become married in their thoughts and in their processes to the one who is worthy of it. You know, there's not the only one. I have set a watchman on your walls, O Jerusalem, and they'll never hold their peace day or night. <laughs> you who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes what he planned for until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now that's not just the Jerusalem physically, geographically. That is the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven filled with those who are the saints. We'll get to that in a minute. But before that, I want to jump over to book of Joel. That is, if you let me make that jump. Please do. <laughs> I, I, I kind of felt like I had carte blanche here, so I'm doing that. Blow the trumpet in Zion. He's going to give. Uh, he's going to give in, in this passage. He's going to give the solution to the national dilemma, to the one we're facing right now. Blow the trumpet in Zion and consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Make them holy. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing babies. Then he adds another one. Let the bridegroom go forth out of his chamber and the bride from her dressing room and let the priests who minister to the Lord Weep between the porch and the altar. Even before they get to the labor of water, even before they get to the place of sacrifice with the blood, let them cry out before God, bring us into your presence, God. That's it, basically. 
from the porch to the altar is the approach to the presence of God during the sacrificial time at the temple. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach, that the nation should rule over them. For why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? When God is willing to meet them. But there has to be, there has to be a time when we set aside the things of the world. In other words, he called the assembly irrespective of where the employment was or what your activities were. Stop the movement and start coming to me. That's what it means by bride up. When you get to the place, you realize that you've been so far away from the living God that you need to approach him at the altar at the very, at the very place where you fall down in front of him and weep. Now you say that might, might be impossible. Well, let me tell you how unimpossible it is. I traveled for years with a fellow by the name of Charles A. Gruber, Carlos Gruber in Spanish. He was from Riga, Latvia. Brother Gruber lived every day of his life for the freedom of his country. It was taken by communism. And most of the time of his ministry, he was a concert violinist and a minister as well. I've walked with him in places on the earth, in jungles in Sri Lanka and in places of India. I've been with him in the big crowded cities. He spoke 11 languages, and his yearning heart was only one, had only one goal, and that was to see his native country, Latvia and Riga, free. Now, why did he leave Riga? He left Riga when the communists came in, and the communists came in with such a stealthiness and so soft, it was almost unperceptible. His pastor was a Baptist pastor. He vacated the pulpit for a couple of weeks, was gone on, quote, vacation. <clears throat> when he returned, he had a full uniform in the Communist Party, and he had given all of the data about the congregation, all of the names and addresses, all of the telephone numbers of the congregation to the communists. And they knew who they were, and they knew if they lived, they had to flee the country at that moment. Well, he lived with that sorrow in his heart. He lived with that departure in his soul as he went to Brazil and then finally the United States. Carlos and I knew each other well because Carlos had an intimacy with God and I did too and we loved one another. We we're brothers in Christ even though he's gone now. But I saw Carlos when, Regal, when the wall fell and Rigo Latvia was freed I saw him gather up and support container loads of food and clothing going to his native country, so much so that at 92 years old, the country called for him, the president of Latvia called for him to come to, to Riga and receive the highest honor, the gold star, the highest civilian recognition. Tears streamed down his eyes when he, when he took the, accepted that medal. And this is what he said, Oh, that my people would return to my God. <laughs> they declared a month of holiness 
beginning with a week of sovereign sanctity before God, and they called the whole nation to a, call, a solemn assembly because one man went before his God and pled daily all of his life for that to happen. When that becomes the burden, when that becomes the compassion of the people who live in this nation, there will be a change. You know, my brother, mm -hmm. there are some passages in the New Testament as well. Well, before we get to those, I did want to jump in here. And just so, as you were reading through that passage in Joel, something, something jumped out at me that I had really never paid much attention to before in the other times that I had read this passage. And it's at the end of verse 16 when it says, And the bride from her dressing room and it's this idea that just popped in my head like what does a bride do in her dressing room well she prepares in privacy for revealing amen and you know i, I actually i have this feeling dr oliver that there are many people that have been even now being prepared by the Lord in a sort of privacy, hidden, if you will. They haven't taken the stage yet. They haven't been released in their ministry publicly yet. That has been primarily to the Lord to this point. But there's a day where the bride, she goes forth from her dressing room. Um, well, there are, you know, Elijah had his 7,000 that had not bowed the knee. Hmm. And as much as we don't like to think about it, when you've got a church that's loaded down with those kinds of people that are not, not in tune with God and not operating in the Spirit, you know, though, that there are those that are in that congregation who are. And they formulate a bride that is the bride that is going to be brought back into the very presence of Jesus but they don't realize it not everybody is the bride that's why Jesus gave those passages in Matthew concerning the ten virgins so you wipe out about half to start with five of those virgins had oil in their lamp and five did not have oil in their lamp they weren't prepared therefore he brought the judgment door it was closed by the time they did get to the place where they were ready to be married to him, the marriage feast was already going on. So we've got some realities to face. And the church has some realities they've got to address. And that's one of them. You're right about the dressing room because actually in Joel, the, the object was to, no matter what you were doing, stop what you were doing and get get right with God and weep before the porch and the altar. Uh, the bridegroom had not seen his bride at that point. This was still in the preparation time, and the wedding was yet to, yet to be, but it was on that day, and a lot of people wouldn't want to stop those wedding festivities in order to go weep between the porch and the altar, but it's that important. And that is that important for us to recognize this situation where we live. 
in our community, no matter where we are in the world. The world is in chaos. And the reason it's in chaos is because nobody's weeping between the porch and the altar. Nobody's understanding their position as the bride. Everything depends on the bride's ability to receive what the bridegroom has for her. We see that throughout the Song of Solomon. We see that throughout Scripture. And we see it even in the ten virgins that are talked about in Matthew. Matter of fact, I'll read that passage over in Matthew if you like. The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, they all went out to meet him. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamp. And while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept, every one of them. That was both the foolish and the wise. But at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him now. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give me some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go gather to those who sell, and buy from yourself for yourselves. And while they went to buy, while they went to God's house, while they went to their study group, while they went to the places where they were receiving spiritual nourishment, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, those other virgins, they came and say, Lord, Lord. But he answered, most assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Mm-hmm. It goes back to that passage in Timothy we talked about some time back. Mm-hmm. The Lord knows those that are his. Yes, that was an outstanding program, Dr. Oliver. Let me ask you this question at this point. When it comes to what people are looking at or looking to for examples of what this idea, this concept being the bride means, do you believe there is a shortage of models? Absolutely. We were discussing before our broadcast that we don't have a true model for the church and we don't really have a true model for who the bride is. We, we tend to make these terms bride fit into the culture uh, that we have surrounding us and that's not who the bride is. In the ancient days, and these were written, some of these passages were written 1000 B.C. In the case of Isaiah 750 B.C., case of Song of Solomon 1000 B.C., they had a very ancient uh, descriptive women. Women were not equal to men by any means. Uh, it doesn't mean we need to go back to there, but it certainly does mean that a, a woman was more or less, when she became a bride, she began to be cared for, not by her husband, by her father anymore, but by her husband. And her dependency was on him. And we've lost that sense of dependency. We have an independent, I can fix it, 
we can work with it and get it done sort of idea today. You know, there's another passage, and it sets the model. It sets the ideal, yeah, but it's over in Revelation. Mm. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these words, for they are faithful and true. So he wrote. And when he got to the twelfth verse of that twenty-first chapter, this is what he wrote. Then one of the angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit. The only way you can understand this is in the Spirit. Amen. And the Holy Ghost of God is the only way we're going to be able to approach this brideship. And that's what turns away the multitudes. He took me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now, in that Jerusalem is all the saints, those who are really the bride. And they are, they are seen as one entity. He showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, pardon me, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like the most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now, how do you relate us being the bride and the holy Jerusalem being the bride. Well, it's simple. The bride is the only one who got inside before the door was shut. And we know who we are and we know how we operate with God and we know our intimacy level of God and we know who we know what it's going to take for us to depart from sin and depart from iniquity get our lives cleaned up, walk before him in power. And the way we do that is becoming his bride, just like it is in the Song of Solomon. You know, one of the amazing things that I have really uh, stumbled upon more recently is the idea that the new Jerusalem, even as we are speaking, is not distanced from us by time. Many, uh, Hallelujah. Oh, man. Many of the uh, commentaries I read early on uh, seemed to have this idea that New Jerusalem doesn't become relevant until some distant point in the future as God is bringing it to earth and focuses its view primarily on, well, how does the city get shaped? Is it a cube or a pyramid? What are its actual dimensions? What is a cubit? You know, and some of these questions. But 
In this passage, in Galatians chapter 4, there's a revelation. And in 4.22, it says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is the physical city that was in Paul's day. And then it says, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. And then he says, for it is written, rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. And the thing that just jumps out at me now, my walk with the Lord, is that Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. We have to ask ourselves, oh, if it's already our mother, how then do we divorce ourselves from the city by time? We don't. We don't. That's what it's part of being born again is, is that understanding that we're living in that kingdom now. We need kingdom constructs. Oh, come on now. Wow. Uh, let, me, let me ask you about submission. See, the Bible says wives submit to your husbands. Where does that play into this conversation? Well, when we begin to realize our place in him is through grace. You know, we, we come, grace causes a humble submission. When you're grateful for what you've received, when you recognize what's been paid for already, when you come to that place that you know that the lover of your soul loves you as much as you love him and that more so then you you don't have a problem with letting him take the lead and that submission is taking letting him take the lead letting him make direct direct the program because all the way through even the song of solomon it talks about come away with me my love and she progressively grows in her confidence in him and her lack of self-reliance upon herself because she blends as one with him. That's why in Revelation, the last portion of Revelation says the spirit and the bride. (laughs) The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. And whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. That's an invitation, but it can't be on our terms. It has to be on his terms. But before long, we know that his terms are not grievous, so it's not difficult to submit to them. You said that the church is stuck in this thing, reality versus fantasy. That was right at the beginning. Yes. Can you unpack that? Well, a lot of people take the brideship construct as a fantasy, as an item that, well, that's going to happen later on, maybe 
things, you know, work out to where we all become what we should be. But it's not true. We're the bride now or we're not the bride, period. Those ten virgins were either the ones that were prepared and wise or they weren't. I mean, that things are what they are. And we have to recognize where we are in him. Uh, we, you know, a bride takes on the name of the husband. She takes on certain duties that are already culturally defined for her. And one of the things that that man, when he was first made, Adam was first made, he got a, an Eve from that rib, and one of the things that she had to be was submissive to him. Now, I, I realize, you know, that we have certain feminist organizations operating independent and what have you. Nobody's going to be my guide and all this sort of thing. But that's not the whole, that's not the picture. The picture is a love relationship, and when you can't do enough for him, you just want to keep doing things for him, and you want to keep things being, uh, you know, more and more of him, that submission becomes less and less a, a matter of, of uh, degree as it is a matter of, that's who I am. Who are you? Well, we're the bride of Christ. We, we're married to Jesus. He has obligated himself to protect us, to provide for us. And that means everything, emotionally, physically, spiritually. That he himself has our best interest in mind. And that he loves us because, you see, well... If we would go to the Song of Solomon, we'll see that there were four declarations she made. But it was not until the final declaration, when she realized who she was in him, that she, will, she would say, My beloved is mine, and I am his, and his desire is toward me. Who wants to break up that relationship? No devil in hell can do it. Because once you've come to that place in him, there's no turning back. There's no desire to turn back. There's only a move forward with him. Because there's where joy is. There's where peace is. There's where the answers are. And that makes us kingdom people who are willing to see the kingdom as he sees it, to walk in it as he walks in it, and to behave as he behaved within it. You know, the, the understanding of the, Song of, of the Song of Solomon was in the 8th chapter. She, she learns that submission is not difficult because everything that is done is done for her. And to bring her up to a position of standing beside him as a co-laborer. So that the first Adam had his Eve, but the second Adam had his second Eve. God is not looking for us to be less than him. He's looking for us to be restored to the place where he can walk with us and we can walk with him without any disparity. Wait a minute. Wait a minute there. <laughs> you said... God does not want us to be less than him. I guess this has something to do with the fact that the Bible says 
we have been made heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. What does that do to the doctrine that says, after I have come to Jesus and surrendered my life, I am still nothing more than a low-down, no-good, worthless sinner saved by grace? Well, that's a good postulate for a Baptist. Uh, unfortunately there's more to it than that I refer back to Carlos Carlos used to say Lord I'm nothing I'm less than nothing well in reality that's true without him but the other side of the coin is we're to be brought up to a level to walk with him his expectation of us is greater than our self uh, our self definition one of the things of the Song of Solomon is that she was self-deprecating. She was keep saying, you know, well, I'm not what I should be. I, I'm not quite where I ought to be. And every dimension that goes on from the first chapter to the last is a story of how she got out of that, how she came to the realization that being separated from him for any length of time was what made things worse, that to be walking with him and talking with him is to be in grand eyes. And then she realizes that she is the object of his love because nowhere in the Song of Solomon does the king, Jesus, ever accept her definition of herself. Brother Oliver, this is so huge. This is the thing. When a person does not see themselves as having value in the eyes of their lover, their husband or their wife. It always becomes a division between them. That's right. It leads to a lack of identification between the two. It destroys relationship as a matter of fact the bible even talks about how god does not desire that we be unequally yoked that's right so if jesus doesn't want us to be unequally yoked in the natural how much more is god looking for an equal yoking for himself so if we cannot arise to the vantage point of our kinsman redeemer of our bridegroom about ourselves there will always be a division in relationship a breaking of fellowship a disalignment and it causes relationship to fail yep and the problem is i've seen it literally built into theological treatises on identity in christ jesus yep. it's been marred and it's been really really how can i just say terrorized Poverty mentalities of identity in Christ Jesus have stolen capacity for relationship with God, in my opinion. 
The church has not been an advocate of that type of thinking, however. You know, we we have to recognize it, say, the Roman Catholic Church. Hmm. Puts a division and separation between the people and God. Not only them, but others as well. We, we come to the business as normal evangelical church, and we still have that separation there. It may not be the same cataclysm or the uh, catechism or the same uh, set of rules of order, but it ha- does have its element of distance. When we begin to see the distance melt between us and our God, us and our Jesus, then we can't help but serve him and love him because what he has for us is for our best good, and we begin to see that. You know, I've read the biographies of a number of great men of God, and every man of God has been somewhat like Watchman Nee. They've had to come to the realization that the most tantamount, most important thing in their life is to be in symphony. Now, I use the word not sympathy, but symphony with the Holy Ghost, which guides us into all truth and opens up to us the revelation of him. He said, Jesus himself said, if you come to me, I'll reveal myself to you. I will make manifest myself to you. Why is that? So that we can be like him. So we can, you know, come into his presence in the power of the the might he has bestowed upon us. You know, if I were to open my Bible now, almost any place in the Song of Solomon, when there's a description of him, it's always with adulation. Oh, my, he's the fairest of 10,000. He's he's all of these things. And every description he has of her is, you are fair, my love. You are beautiful, my love. This is the way I see you. And the moment you come to the realization that you can be what I describe you to be, you are able to be that bright and wonderful thing, quote, that I'm looking at because I'm looking at a finished product while you're looking at a developing one. And our self-judgments are off. We have a problem within our churches, and that is what I call shallow theology. Mm -hmm. And that shallow theology is not the intimacy with God that he wants and with Jesus that he wants. The bridegroom desires of the bride someone who will listen to him and try to understand how he thinks. Wow. At the same time, recognizing that the input we must give is that of not of consent, but of active participation. We want what he wants upon the earth. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. When I talk to people sometimes, Dr. Oliver, they get confused. Because I'll say something like, well, I call Sundays... Sup with Jesus Sunday. I actually have named all of my days of the week. I can give you the full list if you want. But (laughs) I call Sunday Sup with Jesus Sunday. I I theme them. And so typically on Sunday, I will take three hours and sit with God. I don't even pray for people. That's my time during the week where I sit down with God and we talk. 
And I will come away from those times with extensive journal entries. I call them dictations because what I do is I scribe the Lord. Amen. Because we talk. We talk like that. We have conversation. And it is, in my experience at this time, word for word. And I will take hours with the Lord in that place. And when I am with the Lord in that place, in my house, the whole atmosphere shifts. <laughs> Anyone that walk into my house while I'm in that place, they know that I'm not there alone. I've dimensionally displaced my entire environment into the presence of the Lord. I take the whole thing with me. And I'm there with him. We talk. He's my friend. And he makes sure that I know that he enjoys. As a matter of fact, he said the other day, Daniel, I enjoy this time just as much as you do. Oh, amen. And, and, and we have it. And, it. and it is a heart to heart during that time. And I get to have the heart of the Lord unpacked to me because I'm his friend. You download him. Oh. Oh, there's a, uh, there's a dimension of revelation that is higher, <clears throat> pardon me, than what, we're able to, what we've been able to see in our lives. There comes that time when you, when you know more intuitively than you are able to express. When... You know, the heart of God is being revealed. You've, you've touched upon a matter here that there are some intimacies that can only be, uh, shall I say, marketed as marriage. There are some intimacies that, that dissolve barrier between the man and the woman. There are so, some things that we know about one another that we don't broadcast to the rest of the world even. But we know them within ourselves, and they guide us, and they lead us, and they, we know what pleases and what displeases. And that moments that you're talking, those moments that you're talking about, fade in time. Three hours can go by, and it seems like three minutes, <laughs> because you're in that timeless mode of God. And there are some things that God can't reveal to people unless they get to that place. You know, who wants to have a conversation with a wall? Somebody who is unresponsive, who doesn't want to hear what you have to say, who doesn't long for the things of, of God and the nature of God to be within them. I believe that there's one message to the church today, and that's come away with me, my love. Come away with me, my fair one. And that's what you're talking about. That's the description you're giving. That's what's all through the Song of Solomon. You know, if God were described, to set out to describe who you are to him, would it be the same as you would describe yourself as who you are to him? Okay. That is profound. Because the moment a person gets up in church and says something like, I'm important to God, people say, no, you're not. 
Yeah. Humble yourself. <laughs> well, a humble and contrite heart, he will not turn away. But we recognize when he turns away. I believe that division in relationship between us and God has been empowered by a spirit of false humility. Oh, absolutely. False humility is really a type of poison that divorces people from an ability to engage in true identity according to the perspective of God. And it's honored and reverenced by religious people <laughs> that don't have the intimacy. You know, I when you read the book of Luke, you see Gabriel. He, he appears to uh, Zechariah, the, the father of John, the Baptist. And one of the first words out of his mouth are, I stand in the presence. <laughs> this comes right out with it. There's no hindrance in his language or communication of who he is in the vantage point of God. He knew exactly where he stood. And he introduced himself that way. But are we allowed to introduce ourselves as the ones who come boldly before his throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need? Or the ones who have been raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places? Well, there's no venue in the church for that kind of uh, advocacy. There's no, the, the gatekeepers have pretty well kept the gate closed on those kinds of things. But when we walk with the Spirit, our experience level shines. We are able to see things happen in our lives that do not happen in the lives of others. And as we talk about them, we begin to realize how few people there are who, don't, who understand. That's why in the book of Jude it said in the last days they'll speak evil of God's dignitaries. Well, there have to be some dignitaries on earth for people to speak against them. So, Lord, help me to find the dignitaries. Let me leave off all the others. <clears throat> Let me come to the place and position that I know who your people are and then let them share with me their experiences. And as they share with me their experiences, it causes me to want to walk deeper and be in their kind of experience level. So there's a challenge, steel against steel, iron sharpened iron. The idea that we need to have one another is true. The fellowship is a fellowship of the flame. But it is a fellowship from his flame, from the coals of his altar. You know, the daughters of Jerusalem asked the Shulamite, what is your beloved more than any other beloved? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. What is Jesus more than any other contact that we have? What is our relation to him more than what our relationship is to those who are in the congregation sitting beside me? 
What is your beloved more than another beloved, O fairest among women? Fairest among women. She said she was black and comely and not not good. But as she rolls along, she begins to realize that even those who are outside her, the daughters of Jerusalem, recognize the change on the inside of her, the expansion of of Jesus's will for her on the inside, planted on the inside like a seed, growing, 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 that she has grown in God. She has grown in that relationship. She is becoming the bride. Well, it's time for us to bride up. Time for us to be able to see ourselves as he sees us. It's time for us to recognize our position in him, which is to walk with him in the vineyards of this world and create and see those things created that are desirable to him. That which is lovely, that which is pure, that which is godly, that which is holy, those things he calls to her, says, Come, my beloved, let us go forth to the field. Let us go to the villages. Let us go to the vineyards. Let's go and look at the things that I have for you, and I will give you my love. And I will also give you new and old treasures that I have laid up for you, my beloved. Oh, you mean that there are treasures out there. There are things that God wants to reveal to us, but we haven't come to the place where we can receive them. There are ecstasies yet to be had. There's a reason to rejoice yet in front of us. There's a new and open door at, at which no man can close. You know, he, she, said to, she said to him, the bride said to him, all right, I've come to the place where I walk with you, and I walk on a level, a plane that's with you. When you do a miracle, I do a miracle. When I see you doing this action, I do this action, and it's blessed. But what about those coming later? What about those who haven't developed? And there's a simple test. If they be a wall, if they be a wall, we will build upon her. We will develop with her. We will cause ourselves to be invested with her. But if she's a door, that lets anything in and allows loose living to be a part of her life, I will enclose her with boards of cedar and siphon her off. Now that's a promise. And God says you do it to yourself, whether you're a wall or whether you're a door. If you're a wall, very few things penetrate except those within the walls. But if you be a door, anything's open and out there. And I to tell you, the spiritual discernment that's necessary in our churches today is not there in the majority of the people, or they wouldn't tolerate what they're seeing and hearing. That's why your intimacy with God is not at the altar of some congregation, but in the privacy of your dwelling. <laughs> but it's your dwelling. Oh yes, it is. It's your place. I 
That place in him is your is your ground. Uh-huh. John G. Lake, for instance, who I admire greatly. John G. Lake, 1910, began to began to exercise the things of God that he knew that wasn't being exercised in the church around him. And healings took place by the thousands. A hundred thousand people in one year received their healing because of John G. Lake. But John kept reaching out. He, wouldn't, he wasn't satisfied with what he knew now. He wanted new adventures in God. And I believe that's why the Lord took him on. Because the next door that he had to open in his understanding, he had to be in heaven to receive it. And he's going to be a part of that bride, that holy bride coming down it, as the bride of Jesus. We are those saints. And we can't call ourselves sinners when he calls us saints. You recently wrote a newsletter talking about Jesus and compassion. Jesus, of course, being the bridegroom. And you mentioned there a heart yearning. Can you talk about that? Well, I can. It's going to be published April the 1st, so people can read it if they go to ZadokPublications.com and read it, or they can get on our mail list and receive it. But for right now, we're just going to look at it. I entitled that newsletter, Compelling Compassion, because there was one word used for compassion when Jesus was upon the earth in his ministry, and that one word is a long Greek word, spanchismai, and it means to have the bowels yearning on the inside. Not just a feeling of sympathy, but to be moved to an action. And to come to the place where there was a, not a burden, like the burden of a prophet, but where there is a entering in to that other person's need. And, and seeing that need met by what you have. Now that's compassion. But you can't do it being at a distance. Neither can the brideship be at a distance. It has to, you know, we're not separated for a time with Jesus. We're with him or we're not with, it, with him. And whether we're alive or dead, we're in him. But it's neat to know that in the New Testament, that is the only Greek word used for describing Jesus' compassion for multitudes. However, there are four other words used by Paul and other writers that tend to magnify other degrees uh, or other dimensions of the word compassion. Jude, for instance, comes in and chimes in and said, it's time for us to use compassion toward some, but a, a strong arm of deliverance to others. So there's a dimension involved in compassion, and there are dimensions in the depth of Jesus Christ, too. I believe there's dimensions in what brides are able to receive and which ones are not. Uh, but all of us have one goal in mind, and that is to stand equal to him. And that is his goal for every living person born into his kingdom. 
to deny him that privilege is to deny all the things that he paid for because Calvary was the highest form of compassion. He excelled in it to the thief when he had compassion for him as he cried out, Remember me when you enter your kingdom. He said, This day you'll be with me in prayer. That's compassion. And he cried out as he looked at the multitudes that cried, Crucify him, and he was being crucified at that moment. He said, Father, don't lay it to their charge because they don't know what they're doing. My Lord, what compassion that was. And when you recognize that that compassion is what we should have on the inside of us for the things of God and for the people around us, I could go through some of this newsletter with you on occasion, and we can do that. Mm -hmm. But for right now, as we relate to the bride, mm -hmm. the bride has a duty to bring to others <clears throat> that which is burden of the heart of Jesus in such a way as it is if Jesus was there himself. Because any brideship weighs into the relationship. The same, in other words, the wife can speak for the husband and the husband the wife. The wife can sign the check and the husband will honor it. And we haven't got enough of that going on around us to make the difference in the world. They can see that there's a difference in those who know him and those who do not know him. The the amazing thing is that everything that Jesus accomplished was first spoken. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself is the word. Amen. And when you bring up the idea of a bride, of a wife being able to co-sign on a check, to take care of business on the level of her husband. You're talking about a group of people that speak to the heavens and have the heavens submit to their words because their words are God's words. That's real there power. Go. There you go. That is the authority of the believer, and it's based on the authority of brideship, mm. not mm. on the authority of someone who leans out over a congregation, living as they live, being as involved in the world as they're involved without any repentance or remorse. You can't give them the same promise you give the bride. No, it's not there. False check. <laughs> but you and I can speak for Jesus because and he speaks to us. Amen. Amen. And I, I will tell you something, Dr. Oliver. I was talking earlier about the time I spend with God on Sundays. I'm so busy during the week many times. You know, I get my warfare done in the morning. My time in prayer is mostly covering things and punching the devil in the teeth and uh, covering people and praying for their protection and uh, praying over bride ministries and everything that God has called us to do and this kind of thing. But Sunday, that's that's the day that I sit down and I, I'll take time and just talk. And this, these words 
that I write as the Lord is talking to me, I'll describe what he says and very extensive pages and pages and pages every week. When I read them, and I've tested this, I'll take a little segment, a little passage, a little snippet, I'll read it to someone. They'll say, the moment you began to speak those words, the whole atmosphere around me shifted. Tingles came over my whole body. Amen. They said, well, that's because I spoke the word of the Lord. But this is not Daniel's word. This, this really is the word of the Lord. Um, it performs God's purposes in the spirit realm. It's, it's, it's quite profound, the power and weightiness of these words. And as you were talking about this, I say, yes, that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, a lot of people, they might hear the Lord say something about their lives and say, this is what I want to do. And so what they do is they will, quote unquote, hide it in their heart. In other words, they'll bury it in the ground and hope that no one finds it. And they don't declare it, decree it, or speak it. I think there's a missing element there. I think we need to speak the word of the Lord. Oh, absolutely. And that word is spoken to us is just as holy as that word is written in the in the Bible. But it won't conflict with that. It won't conflict with the Bible. It will never. It's in har- it harmonizes with it. Yes. That's what I talked about being in symphony. You know, in symphony, you've got everything in accord. Mm. And it may be this playing or that playing or this other instrument, but all of it together has is one unity. And that that's the multifacetedness of being the bride of Jesus. It doesn't, we don't all have to look alike or sound alike or be alike. We don't have the same response levels. We, we don't always have the same openness or closeness within ourselves, but we are all aware that we are his and he's ours. He's us. We own him. Now, when you say, I own Jesus, it means that you can't take me out of this relationship. You, you'll have a fight on your hands if you try. The most important thing is to see a smile on his face, and you can't please him without faith, and you can't meet him without holiness. And wow, those things are just too far out for most congregations. <laughs> see that gap you see that distance you know when you try to when you try to bring what you're talking about and we're talking about here and bring it to a congregation there is you know uh, somehow we're not we're speaking a foreign language and there's not the comprehension that is involved yes but there is the outward understanding of what you just said a while ago. People recognize when the hair stands up on their arm, you know, and they have chills down their back 
that you've got something to say from a higher source than what they've been used to listening to. And that's what I relish every time. Who wants to go to a pulpit when the Holy Ghost doesn't show up? Who wants to go to a congregation when there's no Spirit of God moving like power in their midst? Why do we tolerate these things? Because we tolerate them because we're not in synch synchrony with Him, synchronized in the, His will. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're going to love this. It, you know, we're, we're launching this internet-based ministry service. We decided to call it uh, The Fireplace Church. Uh, the, the thing about the fire is that God wants to ignite a fire on the inside of us that burns very brightly. And I realized, Dr. Oliver, that getting invited to churches to preach is not my forte. Oh, amen. It, if, if I want to preach in a church, I typically have to leave the country. That's what I have noticed thus far. <laughs> I would say praise the Lord for that. Uh, God said it's time for you to build an international church, and I'm going to uh, endorse your platform. And <laughs> say, you know what, God, whatever you endorse, I am signed off on. It, we've been building it. This is the thing. There's a lot of people that are yearning. For what we're talking about, they're actually arriving there, but they have to do it independently of local fellowship. I find that extremely unfortunate, and I believe in the future that will change. Yes. But there's a shift that's happening. Uh, God has to bring a new company of leaders to the forefront, and somehow he has to bring them through the order that's been camping on the uh, leadership platforms that exist. And I told someone the other day, I said, you know, this is the thing. When you go back, you're going to realize that people, they're trying to have a different conversation with you than God is having with you right now. I told him that. I said, God is having a different conversation with those that are his than the world is having with those that are his. And people that sit in pews are having with those that are his. It's a very different conversation. And I'm, well, personally, Dr. Oliver, interested in the conversation of the Lord. Yeah, we ask who's who and who's talking. Uh, <laughs> sometimes, you know, the devil tries to talk to you too. You have to shut him up because you're adhering to a voice that is the shepherd and you know his voice and he is leading you out of the fold into walking with him in the higher places. There's the question. How many people want to be in the higher place? Well, I think there are multitudes, multitudes, multitudes that want to hear more than they've been receiving but they don't know how to get there. I was in Arkansas oh, some years back, and there's a group of people there that had bought a huge number of acres, about 800 acres, and they were living in a, as a community because they wanted to get out of the big cities and they wanted to homeschool their kids and they teach them Greek and Hebrew and all the other things 
very early age and all of them play an instrument and every one of them are talented beyond words and can go to any university they want to after that period of time. Just the sweetest fellowship of people. But there was one young girl there that was the daughter of one of the leaders in that community. And she said, Daddy, I don't see him, I see Jesus. I believe that was the highest compliment, Daniel, that I ever received from anybody. Because that is exactly the transformation that has to take place. Somehow or other, we've got to be able to talk out of the fullness of conversation with him. And out of your belly roll rivers of living water. So that, so that it's not just a, a matter of receiving to ourselves, but it's a matter of transmission to a world that needs to see it. That little girl was saying what she felt in her heart. She saw Jesus. Well, brother, if you see Jesus in, in me, Jesus has to be deposited there in the increments that will be big enough to well up in that ex in that time of teaching and learning and so forth in our interactions with others I as I said I've been working in certain areas about Jesus's compassion and I began to realize that the compassion is not just a, not just something that you are sympathetic to someone's cause or needs or you look out over a multitude and see problem and you're sympathetic with it. That's not it. But the moment you enter into their situation and you, you find them allowing you to enter in. You see, a lot of times people don't want to allow you to enter in. So you can't transmit that which they're not willing to receive. But if you find those that are willing to enter in, then that's who you want to gravitate to, and they want to gravitate to you. There's a, there is a, an experience of mutual understanding, I'll put it that way. And thank God there are those that we have on the earth today who transmit that and who receive also. People like yourself who are interested in the deeper walk with the Lord. And it's not just a deeper walk we're aiming at, but being what he wants us to be. You know, you ever look to a child and say, boy, I wish you'd grown up to be something different than what you are. Yeah, well, we don't want him to, we don't want that to happen to us, do we? We don't want to look back over a wasted life and find out that we could have been what we shouldn't couldn't even imagine having been in our lifetime. That's a remorse that we don't want to have. But the church is on fast forward, speed go ahead. And they're thinking about what they're going to be doing in the fall program of the harvest time. And what are we going to be doing at Easter and Christmas? And what are we doing on these festivities? And what are we going to be doing with this or that? And not with what are we, where are we going to be when he comes? Let's take a, a moment and talk a bit about 
the supernatural. Because uh, the thing is, Dr. Oliver, we serve a supernatural God. But we're so disconnected from him, supernatural doesn't make sense to the church. As a matter of fact, it's gotten so bad, and the church is so far. The only thing supernatural many people in the church see is the counterfeit. They say, if it's supernatural, it must be a demon, because... God doesn't do that, at least not my God. Well, I'm glad that you and I don't seem to serve the same God because (laughs) my God does supernatural things. You know, the other day, Dr. Oliver, I was, (laughs) this was a while back, had someone on the phone. They had some problems with their body. There's some demons holding on to them. There's different kinds of bondages. I mean, it was, you know, it was in the physical, it was in the spirit, it was all that stuff. They got me on the tail end of a day, and I was just laying on a couch, under a blanket, relaxing. I got on the phone, and it's all these problems. And so I just started speaking to them. <laughs> Let go of their legs. <laughs> legs be healed. <laughs> Different kinds of things. I mean, there was some specificity in that, you know, some prophetic words and Uh, words of knowledge and different things. Of course, I would have none of that if I didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Obviously, because I do praise the Lord, it's His grace on me to be able to minister His life. And as I'm laying on the couch, the deliverance and the healing is actually coming into them. They're like, wow! You said you're laying on a couch? Yeah! (laughs) Do I need to be standing up for this? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. know it's it's i remember when the lord he told me he said daniel the miraculous and supernatural for you is going to become so casual it'll be like having coffee in the morning with a good friend and i'll tell you what it is going there and i'm very interested in seeing that journey through but i have people that come to me and still want to argue whether or not gifts are for today We're having a different conversation. And (laughs) the frustration, I believe, in heaven is very great over some of these things, Dr. Oliver. Yes, angels want to accompany us, but we're not going anywhere, so they aren't either. Mm. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. You know, when we were discussing earlier, when we first got our conversation going, we were we were talking about the early church. When they left the upper room, supernatural things began to happen around them, and they were accustomed to the supernatural following them and being a part of their ministry. Whereas now that definition doesn't apply, seemingly. People don't look for the supernatural. They don't call for the supernatural. Therefore, the supernatural cannot be manifested. What do you do with a guy like Philip, 
who was down talking to an Ethiopian, and all of a sudden he is transported bodily, physically, through some open door, and he finds himself a hundred miles away in Azotus. I mean, that's supernatural. We sometimes define supernatural as something out there in Weirdsville that we don't want to be a part of because we're not familiar with it. But if we had a model before us that was exemplifying operating in the Spirit, and there is the key to the whole situation is operating in the Spirit. Paul didn't go where the Spirit wouldn't let him go. Uh, Simon Peter was corrected by the Spirit. A sheet let down, and he began to see the need for the Gentiles to be a part of the, of the heritage of God. Those things were supernatural. And if we begin to expect to see them, they happen to us. I know for absolute proof there are things in my life that brought about supernaturally that couldn't have happened any other way except that. And I called for it, and I call for it again. I don't want to live without it. I'm so accustomed to it that it seems abnormal not to have the supernatural around you. Now, you get me wired up here in a minute, and I'll get fired up in what God is doing, because I wrote a book entitled In Punto, On the Spot, On the Dot, where God's blessing is at the place called there. And if you're here and not there, you don't get the blessing. And it's necessary for us to recognize that we are not, we're not on an endless journey. We're on a journey that's going to bring us into the glory of God. And the glorious church is a church that is freed of the geographical and, and the uh, mental pictures that have been painted for us. We've let the wrong painter show us the painting. We've got to get over to the canvas where God is saying, this is my desire for you. And when you identify with that, you know you are there. How can we see, receive the treasures that he has laid up for us, old and new, promised in the word of God, if we're not to the position of completely being sold out to him in the supernatural? He lives in the realm of the supernatural. We must live there as well. The problem is, brother, we're satisfied with where we are. Some of us. You know, you said the most profound thing right at the outset of this program. You said, Daniel, God is not satisfied. Oh, that's right. <laughs> he is not satisfied with what's going on at all. We need the correction of the Holy Ghost to come. Now, I just think the only thing necessary is that if in a congregation they stood up and all of a sudden the very fog of God just settled over all of them until every one of them feared the very presence of God, they would begin to cry out, Lord, what would you want us to do? That was the answer. That was the crowd that answered Simon Peter the moment he walked out of the upper room he spoke his words about this is what happened in the prophet Joel pouring out his spirit upon all flesh and that crowd of 5,000 people 
that crowd of 3,000 people cried out one little phrase, what shall we do? That needs to come up as the hallmark. That is the response. You want to make Easter Sunday Easter? Boy, that's the response. Lord, what shall we do? And then have the Holy Ghost show every individual where they are and where they need to be. Not a crowd pleaser, but it is a God pleaser. Wow. Dr. Oliver, <laughs> you're right. Um, it is time to bride up. Are there any final thoughts that you have before we bring this program to a close? Well, it would be to this. Don't be afraid of the commitment. Don't be afraid to walk with him. Fear not walking with him. There's the key to all of the situation. He wants an intimacy with us that we have not been able to give because of our hang-ups. Just relax and fall into his arms. It says so in the book of Song of Solomon that his, he embraced me. And when the Shulamite was embraced by him, there is a transfer of, of everything that he is into who she is and vice versa. There's a mutuality and transfer. And that which is not pleasing with him will be done away with, and that which is pleasing to him will be engrandized. You know, the Song of Solomon is a picture. When I say bride up, it's a picture of the bride growing in the grace of God to the point where she releases herself totally into him. And she is willing to lose her identity to become identified in him. And there is a oneness there. There is a continuity there that can't be received any other way than that kind of intimate relationship. And it comes from being honest with yourself and honest with him and letting him do on the inside of you what needs to be done in order to bring you to the place you need to be in him. The disciples said it this way, we can't help but testify that which we have seen and which we have heard. And if our testimony is, this is what Jesus has poured into me this week, as I poured myself into him, that's the testimony time we want to hear. There's no room in the church anymore for a testimony of what Jesus has done for me this week and what he has called me to do this week. There is no vision of that produced before the people. But if we were honest with God, our message would be, I have come away with him, and I'm not returning to what I used to be. Hallelujah. <laughs> 
Hallelujah to that. Folks, we've been talking with uh, Dr. C.R. Oliver. Every time I do a program with Dr. C.R. Oliver, I walk away on cloud nine. Uh, You are just an incredible man of God, and I so appreciate you, your ministry, your heart. My, 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 folks, you can visit him at www.zadokpublications. That's Z-A-D-O-K publications.com. You can sign up for his newsletter. You can get his books. Um, Just a wealth over there. Dr. Oliver, thank you so much for joining me today on Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Oh, it's been my privilege, Daniel, anytime. I love you, brother, and I love what you're doing. (laughs) Well, I love you too, brother. And folks, until next time, God bless and Godspeed. Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall is the premier radio program designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program has been a production of Bride Ministries. You can find us at www.bridemovement.com At our website, you can contact us access resources, and support us with donations. We need partners in order to continue to produce our vision, which is to promote unity in the body of Christ worldwide and assist in the creation and development of sheep nations. Partner with us and be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed.